Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Last week, Heidi and I spoke on the topic of marriage in this relationship. We asked you to do some homework. I'm not, well, if you want to raise your hand, you can. But I hope you husbands took me out on the challenge and took your girl out to dinner and you all had a conversation. Okay, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. No, if you did, if you did, would you raise your hand? Lisa, would anybody take their wife out to dinner and do the conversation? Thank you, my brother. I'm paying for that dinner right there. I'm I'm, I'm paying. How much was it? Where was it? Was it McDonald's? (laughs) Ruth Chris? (laughs) Never mind. Anyway, (laughs) Kevin, could you pay for that dinner? (laughs) Uh, So, uh, but today we wanted to take one Sunday also really to talk about one of the great felt needs of all of our life. I mean, when you think about felt needs, I mean, just... If, if, this is, if these four things are trending in the right direction, most of us would say life is pretty good. If, if your financial situation is trending in the right direction, you'd say, okay, life's good. If your marriage is trending in the right direction, remember, none of us are perfect, but if we're, we're in a good season and we're trending in the right direction. So if you've got your money and you've got your marriage, and then, if you, then thirdly, your career, your occupation, you, you feel like you got purpose and you're moving forward, then you go, okay, life is good. And then you would think of, and none of these, and, th- and this is not particular order, but then what we want to talk about is your children. If I got my children good, we have three, and it's always, a, you know, you're only doing as good as the kid that's doing the worst. Can I get an amen, parents? If you go, how good am I really? Well, which kid is doing the worst? That's how good I am. And so, but if you can get all four of those, your resources, uh, your, your, your marriage, your children, and your career all trending in the right direction, life's pretty good. And so we wanted to take some time just to spend on that. There was a survey that was done, and here's the basic finding of the survey, that 91% of Americans said that family is the most important thing or one of the most important things to them. And so we want to just take one Sunday just to talk about family, raising children. It's the hardest job, it's the most rewarding job, but it's also one of the hardest jobs and things that you'll ever do. We were created, husband and wife, a man and a woman. God used this relationship, one, to change both of us, and then secondly, so that we could have children to be fruitful and multiply to have kids. How many of you do have children? How many parents are in the room? Wave at me. God help you. And uh, it gets harder and harder because of culture to raise children every single decade. And so we wanted to spend that. We know that in order for our church to be healthy, families have to be healthy. It is the building block of a culture and a society. And that's the way God made it. Remember, the first institution that God ever created was not the church. It was the marriage and the family. And so daddies in the room, you're like the pastor. That's your flock. And God will hold you responsible for it, just as he will hold me responsible for this flock. And so you have to remember that. And if our families are doing well, then our church will be doing well. And if our church is doing well, then our community begins to do well. I believe that with all my heart. 
And so, and our community needs it. It needs a healthy example, good, a good example of what it looks like. Don't think that the world is not watching you. You're preaching all the time. How you tend to your bride, when your family goes out to a restaurant, how your children behave, all of it. it all, it's all a reflection of what God's doing in your own heart and in your own life. And so we wanted to spend a day to talk just about that. And I'm, I'll turn it over to you, babe, because I, I, that's my segue. Um, don't think that today, even last week when we talked about marriage and then today as we're talking about the family, this is just a, as spiritual of a message as anything that we could teach you about the Holy Spirit, about prayer, about your walk with God. This is highly spiritual because God uses our families exactly what Eugene just said. He uses our families as a representation of his love for people that don't know him. And, and, and y'all know the, the, the old saying, the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. As goes the family, so goes the world. And Eugene and I have talked about marriage and family for for over 34 years now. And the, and the funny thing about it, we were talking about marriage when we were newly married and didn't really know what we were doing, but hoping we were getting something right. And we were teaching about parenting when our kids were still at home and little and, and didn't know what we were doing, but hoping we were going to get something right along the way. And now all these years later, we're on the other side and our children are grown and raised and, and they're certainly not perfect and we weren't perfect parents, but not just our own family, but the families that we've set across the table from or set across the living room from or set across the office from and the families that we've ministered to and prayed with and given counsel and insight, hopefully, uh, uh, you know, good godly counsel over the years, we've had a front row seat to see what's happening to our families as each generation passes. And every time we speak on marriage or family in years past, you go, okay, this is the worst it's ever been. And then we get, then we're sitting here today, all these years later and going, I don't know of a time in our lifetime when the family unit has been more fractured than it is today. And if we look at our culture and we look what's happening in our world and what's happening in our community, it can all be tracked back to the breakdown of the family. And though you're in here today and you may have already raised your kids or you don't have kids yet, this still applies to you because every single one of us are involved in a family some way. And whether you're a grandmother or an auntie or a cousin or a sister, <coughs> we're all involved in families. <coughs> and there's much that God wants to say today. The, those of us who are 40 plus, I'm not 40 anymore, but those of us, and Russell, did y'all hear that? 50, did y'all hear, hear his uh, his reference to AARP? And I'm thinking that's hysterical. And I lean over to Eugene and go, half people in this room don't even know who he's talking about. But those of us who do know, we know. And those of us who are older, and we were raised in a generation that probably would our, our parents probably err to the side of too harsh or too firm? And I'm saying this in general. That there, was, there, there was that tendency. And because of that, 
then human nature is to go to the other extreme. And so if you were raised in a family that was too harsh or too firm or too strict, that the tendency is to go to the other extreme. And now we're seeing generations that are being raised that are too lenient, that, that, that are too easy, that are too, and we go to the other extreme. And today, neither extreme is good. The harsh and the firm and the abusive, we are not talking about that, but we're in a generation and a culture now that has swung all the way to the other side and discipline's almost a curse word now. And so we're, we're not talking, neither extreme is good. And today we just want to bring you back into a balance to see what God's word says. There's been other reports and studies and we could recite you study after study after study of that's been done for, uh, for this generation, a generation of parents that we're now seeing that again are not parenting their children. They're trying to be friends with their children. That they're trying to be best friends with children and, and they've usurped their parenting because they're more concerned about their child liking them rather than their child respecting them. And so because of this generation, and if any of you in here are employers and have a business, we've heard this over and over and over how difficult it is to find good workers nowadays. For people to show up on time, to be respectful, to have good manners, to do a good job because we come, we've come out of a generation that's overcorrected, that hasn't disciplined children, who haven't taught children the way that they needed to be taught. And so we've got a generation, again, that don't, just, that, that they don't have just your common, everyday, good sense of good work ethic, good manners, good social skills. And, and that our world is affected by it. Of all the things that Eugenia have taught over, we've taught over the years, there's, been, there's every kind of book. You can go and read every kind of book on parenting. A parenting book 30 years ago is not the same parenting book that you're going to get today. There's all kinds of resources, and there's many of them that are very good. But those, some of those resources tend to go with the same pendulum swing of whichever way the pendulum is swinging. One thing that we know for certain is that God's word and God's ways and his principles never change. Right. It doesn't change with culture. It doesn't change. And so that God's word has much to say about parenting, about discipline, about raising your family, because God's word is a book about families. He has much to say about it. And so we're not going to allow the pendulum to swing. We are responsible in raising a generation of children and young people and young adults that are going to go into the world, be productive adults, leave, live a godly life that's going to that's affect their world in a positive way. And we as parents are responsible for that. Um, we have... Um, we're going to talk about today three, just three foundational stones that for us, we kind of used as a, as a, as a map, as a roadmap of raising our kids. And again, I don't want y'all to look, our kids aren't perfect. They've done stupid stuff. We aren't perfect. We've done stupid stuff, but we've tried to live and raise our children and raise our family when they were home, according to God's words and God's ways. And that's what we're going to share with you today three things. Yeah, there's one thing I just want to yeah, add to what add you that. said, baby. This yeah. thought came, I think it might have been Pastor Jacob that I heard say it years ago. If you look at a generation and you go, yeah, there's something wrong with these kids today. The problem is not with the kids today. The problem was with the generation that raised those children. Wow. 
That's where the problem is. So we got to go. It's not only the kid's fault. Us parents have to adjust to it. And, and so I want you to, to, to see that. Let me, get, let me give you number one. I'm, I'm, we're just going to give you three. Just kind of just kind of guidepost for you to go, I'm not even sure where do I start and begin. And I'll, I'll we'll put number one on there, and we're just calling it the family schedule. Everybody say schedule. Yeah, let me tell you what's going on in the world today. We're watching it happen. Again, we've already raised our children, but let me just tell you what we're watching, what we're seeing. Parents are now over-scheduling their lives and their children. Let me say that one more time because I think I'm at the wrong church. Parents are overscheduling their lives and their children. Well, I want my kids to have every opportunity, every opportunity. Look, your children are, are bent in a certain way. You're doing nothing but wasting time, effort, and energy and money when you keep throwing your kids into all kinds of activities that they're never going to be any good at. We learned this right off the bat when Hannah wanted to take dance and when they had the big show, she had to be the flower that sat right there on the front of the stage, right? Like they, we went, she ain't no dancer. It cost us a fortune, took too much of our time and we're watching a flower sitting there doing nothing. I mean, she didn't even get to do a spin or nothing. She just went out and sat right there. We're like, she's a flower. We've just spent $2,000 and 2,000 hours for her to sit on the front of that stage. We had to get dressed up, buy her flowers for after the production, because that's what parents do now, and cheer her on for sitting nicely. Who's crazy? Or listen, your kid, I hate to break it to you, daddy, he ain't going pro. You think he's going pro. He ain't going pro. Someday, one of the young men in this audience is going to break that, and I won't be able to say that anymore. But we've been, I've been saying it for 35 years. Your kid's probably going to go pro in something else. And so we have to, so I'm saying mamas and daddies, get in charge of that schedule. And we just one of the practical rules that we did with our children, we said, you can be in one thing. You're going, and you're going to be in that one thing. And you're going to finish that one thing. And if that's something that you don't like, we'll go to the next thing. But we're going to pick one thing. Because we're not going to spend all the time, effort, and energy running all over the place. And finances to go run all over the place. And nowadays, you're watching it happen. Back when we were younger, at least the culture respected the church. There weren't Sunday events and Sunday activities and Sunday sports. Nowadays, the world doesn't care. They'll schedule it. Travel ball, all that. Don't get me started. I'll start bringing you. Your kid ain't going pro. Oh, no, he's one of the best on the travel. I got to tell you one funny story real quick. We were, Pastor Myron and I were in, Pastor, Kevin, Pastor Kevin, I'm going to be calling Pastor Kevin in the future, and that we were in uh, St. Landry, or Evangeline Parish, and we saw a guy that Pastor Myron knew, because Pastor Myron's basketball player from Mamu back in the day, you know? And so this guy recognizes Myron, recognizes him like, man, you was a baller, man. You, watching Pastor Myron, like, oh, shucks. <laughs> And, 
And I go, hey, was he really that good? Because he tells us he was all that. He goes, I said, was he the best ball player that ever come out of Mamu? And he said, Pastor, he's the best ball player that came out of Evangeline Parish. <laughs> right there, right there, right there. <laughs> and look where he ended up. And look where he ended up. He ain't going pro. One of the things that Heidi did, and she was, she was awesome at this, she made dinner. Think about this. This, is, this is, sounds so old school. We had dinner. Together. Together. At the table. Together. Almost every night. Obviously, if there was things going on, but we were at that dinner table. And you had to be at that dinner table. And we were all there, and that was phones up. That was times we communicated, talked to, listened to our kids, talk about things. No, no, this is the time where the family kind of repositioned and reset itself. It was daddy, mama, and our children. And it was a time that we communed with our kids. Uh, you know, growing up, they, we, we, we did the put into bed tonight at night and pray for them. But, you know, it gets a little weird when they get like 14. They're like, Dad, are you tucking me in and praying for me? I mean, come on. Uh, you know, but that was the times that we communicated. You got to be in charge of that schedule. I want to teach you a word, Good. Mom and Daddy, yeah. that you need to put back into your vocabulary. Ready? I'm going to teach you this word. It's very important. It'll change your life. Ready? No. Try it with me. Ready? No. Now with some courage. Ready? No. We're not doing that. No. We're not doing that. No. Because we want to make sure. Y'all receive that today? Lord, fill them with the spirit of no in Jesus' name. Yeah, and just to tap onto that, to give you freedom, we're going to give y'all some real freedom today. You don't have to be at every birthday party that you're invited to. You don't have to go to every event that you're invited to. You don't have to. And I'm not being ugly. And there's going to be some that's very important to you that you need to be there. But not all of them. And your children need to know that just because they got invited doesn't mean they need to go. And so, again, the word no to go, we're, we're going to, because this benefits our family when we say no. By saying no to certain things, you're able to say yes to the important things. And if you say yes to everything... Then, 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 then you're going to forfeit the time with your family and you're going to wake up one day and your children are grown and raised and out of the house and you're going to go, uh-oh, I, I, there was a lot of time that I wish I could get back. You're going to have some regret because if you say no now, there's going to be less regrets later. Yeah, let me, yeah, that's very good, love. Yeah. And I'm just thinking this. And here's one of the things I would say to our kids because parents get afraid to say no to their children. They're scared. That's what I would say to our kids. Until you can handle a no, you can't, ha you, you can't get a yes. So, you know, my kids are going to just fire, let them get fired up. Go, baby, until you learn how to handle no, daddy's never going to say yes. Oh, I got to learn how to receive a no. And once they learn to receive a no, okay, thank you. Then you go, okay, next time I'm saying yeah. Because you wanted to make sure they were mature enough to handle it, right? You know more than they know. You see more. You see further than they do. You see the pitfalls. And so you have to have the courage to say no yeah. to your children. No, great. Okay, number two is this. Something that we were very, uh, 
that was very foundational as we raised our kids. Number two is family discipline. And I said this earlier, today the word discipline is almost like a curse word. And there, has, there is such a lack of discipline in our culture today that it's, it's astounding. That there's no, there's no more consequences for doing wrong. There's no consequence. There's no discipline. And, and oftentimes it's because of the overcorrection that discipline has been used and abused. And because of that, then it swings to the other way and go, we're, we're not going to bring discipline. We're not going to discipline. God's word is full of times where he speaks of that God disciplines those he loves. Discipline is love. And if it's done in the right, godly, biblical way, it represents love. You love that child enough to discipline them. Because when they get out of your home, there's going to be consequences for when they make poor choices. And they need to learn that discipline is going to come. Your goal as a parent, this is for parents. The, the, the kids aren't going to like what we're saying today because mom and daddy are going to go home and going, okay, we, we, we are making some adjustments in this rodeo. There's a new sheriff yeah. in town. <laughs> but parents, this, this, is, this is for you today. Our goal as parents is not for your children to like you or to see you as their friend. That's not the goal. The goal is for your children to respect you because you're a great parent. Parenting, if you have chosen to have children, you have chosen to parent them. We have got to get back to the place that parents become parents. That if you choose to have children and don't sit there today and go, well, I didn't really choose it. it just, okay, well, God chose it. You are a parent and your assignment from God that you're anointed to do is to be a parent. The goal is not for your children to like you and think you're the coolest mom or dad on the planet. That's not the goal. The goal is not to become their best friend. That's not the goal. The goal is for your child to respect you as a great mama or as a great daddy. And I've said this, and I've said this to our kids growing up when they were young. I, you don't need another friend. And I said this to one of our children in particular, who's not here at Hannah. the New Iberia campus, that had 150 friends, and they were all best friends. And I looked at her often, and I said this to all three of our kids, but to Hannah in particular, I said, Hannah, I am not here to be your friend. You have a thousand friends. You have one mama. Nobody else is going to be your mama but me. And there may come a time, and we'll talk about that, that the friendship can happen. That's not the goal, though. Because if you're a great mama and if you're a great daddy, later on in life, you'll be a great friend to them. But if you're not and you're trying to be a friend, Okay, you've usurped your right and your assignment from God in being a parent. You, we have to parent our children. We, we have to. Can I just say something funny? Yes. And, and to this day, Hannah will antagonize Heidi yeah. and go, Mama, you're my best friend. And of course, Heidi goes, I am not your friend. I am your mother. 
Okay, I'm gonna put a quote on the, on the screen. Y'all need to take a picture of this. This is one of the greatest quotes, the most true quotes I read. I was reading an article on parenting and it was talking about the over-parenting, meaning the, the helicopter mom and dad who just hover and these poor kids can't do anything without you being all up and in, involved in, in ways that you should not be. And, and, and it says this, undisciplined toddlers, if you've worked in the nursery, you know this to be true. Undisciplined toddlers become obnoxious children who grow into spoiled teenagers and grow into entitled adults. Is that, is that absolutely true? Undisciplined toddlers become obnoxious children who grow into spoiled teenagers and grow into entitled adults. There were two not, there were two non-negotiables in our home when it came to discipline, two non-negotiables. One of them was disrespect and the second was disobedience, was not, was not tolerated in our home. Disrespect and disobedience. Now, dishonesty, not being honest, that would go under, that wasn't tolerated either, but that would go under disobedience. Our children were, pu- were punished and disciplined if they were disrespectful to us or if they were disobedient. And, and I know, please tell me you're not one of these mamas, please Please tell me you're not the mama in Walmart that tells your child something and they don't obey you and you stand there and you start counting. Please, please tell me you're not one of those mamas. One, you better get it together. Two, mama's getting mad. Two and a half, oh, mama's fixing to lose it. Three, okay, and everybody else in Walmart's going, for the love of God, can you take this child and deal with it because you're torturing us the higher you go in your count. Okay, that's not a child problem. That child, that child is not the problem. It's the mama that's the problem that's gonna go around the mountain 10 times because what is she teaching that child? She's teaching that child that you don't have to obey the first time. Because if mama's not gonna spring into action until 99, (laughs) that child is very smart. And that child will run those aisles and grab those toys and kick and scream and cry and snot all over the store because they know they've got till 99 before mama does something. That problem is not the child. The child is very, very smart. The problem is parent. And by teaching our children to obey our voice the first time and to teach them that when we ask them to do something, they're to do it on the first time. And if they don't, it's disobedient. And disobedient is gonna be disciplined and gonna have consequences. We are teaching them how to respond to God's voice. Because if our children learn to obey the first time, we're ultimately teaching them how to obey God on the first time. Because I promise you, God is not in heaven and he does not count. He's, he is in heaven. He's not in heaven counting. That we want to teach. And so teaching our children to be respectful to us as parents, to be respectful of authority, to be respectful of law enforcement, to be respectful of teachers. We're ultimately teaching them to be respectful and honoring of God. That we're to, the, to respect because we are the parents. 
Eugene and I are not the parents of your children. Our youth pastors, Brendan and Cameron, and our kids directors, William and Elizabeth, they're not the parent. We're going to assist you and help you and give you everything we can as parents, but you ultimately are the parent, and you have to parent your children. Let me give you some stages of parenting. I'm going to do this real quickly. Those of you who are familiar with J.H. Ranch, it's a, it's a ranch in, in, in Northern California, a Christian facility that does uh, parenting and uh, dads and daughters and mothers and sons will go and they'll have this whole thing on parenting and they call it the journey of transition and it's the stages of parenting and I'm going to put this up on the screen from one to five years old when your children are one to five years old you're in a real strong discipline you feel like you're disciplining them every time you turn around when they turn five to twelve it becomes more training When they turn 12 to 18, it becomes coaching. If you've done it right, it becomes coaching. And then when they get to 18 years and plus, then that friendship can start developing. And what happens is God's created our children to naturally transition between these stages. They're going to transition. They're going to grow up. And an elementary child doesn't want to be treated like a toddler anymore. And a young adult doesn't want to be, be treated like a 12-year-old anymore. It, it's the natural progression of how God has created us. So the children progress naturally and they go through the transitions naturally. But what happens is parents often don't transition with their children. So that's why you see the mama still trying to t- treat an 18-year-old son like he's five years old and doing everything for him. That's why you see parents that have grown adult children still trying to teach, treat them as teenagers and paying for cell phones and paying for this and paying for that even though they have a job because they haven't made the transition. Their child has made the transition, but the parents haven't. Okay, can we put that back on the screen if you guys put the, 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 the stages back on the, keep it back up there because we're gonna camp here just for a moment. Yeah. I'm gonna ask you some questions, Heidi. When, when it says one to five years old, obviously that's a key time. Right. Discipline kill children on the first, how many have children one to five? Let me, if you got one to five years, okay, all right, so you're in it, you're in it right now. It's like, no, 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 get up, get up, get up, get off that, get up, put that up. Yes, when, if they were disobeyed, what would that look like in our household? I mean, when we'd go, Hannah, pick up your room. And if Hannah did not pick up her room, Immediately, like go to pick up her room, what would happen to Hannah? We, we use Hannah all the time. Let's use Hillary. No, because Hillary would go pick up her room. Let's use William. William might or might not have gone and picked up his room. Yeah. No, if they were disobedient, there, there was discipline that happened. And again, and we're not going to go into it because this is a whole nother, we could talk about this for weeks. We had a rod and we had a wooden spoon and they got their behinds spanked. They just did. Revival. (laughs) God's word is still true. Not the abuse of. Absolutely not the abuse of. And that they, they they would get paddled. And then there was a chair. We call it the trouble chair. And they would have to go sit. And just for a few minutes, and then we'd come back. There's always repentance. There's always, there's always forgiveness. We don't hang it over the child, their head, the rest of their life. We're teaching them the principles of God. And so we, we would teach them. But in that, in that one to five years old, I, I know this for a fact because we lived it. You have to be consistent and you have to be true to your word. Don't threaten something you're not going to do. But if you will be consistent... 
And if you will be true to your word, the seeds that you plant during those first five years, you're going to start reaping the harvest in the years to come. That's right. But if you haven't disciplined them the first five years, you can't jump to those teenage years and expect them to be obedient and do everything you say because it didn't happen in the early years. Now, people get saved, get born again, get the understanding of God's word at different seasons of your life. There's no, there's no condemnation if you didn't do it God's way at the beginning. There's grace to cover it, but you've got to start somewhere. You've got to start just because, you know what, I didn't do that early on. So now that means I can't do it the rest of the time. That doesn't, isn't what we're talking about. Whatever stage you start in and wherever you, you have to be consistent and you have to decide you're going to be the parent and you're going to do it God's way. And you're going to bring people around you that can help you, that can give you some wisdom and insight at whatever stage that you're in right now to start making things right. That's right. Does so, that make sense? Yes, it's, it's discovering the yes or no. Right. And then you, remove, you move to the 5 and 12-year-olds where you start talking about training. Right. Well, when, do, when your ch children get to be 11 and 12, they go, when did you stop spanking William? When he was big enough to spank me. <laughs> you know, no, it, it, it was other things hurt worse. Right. You know what I mean? It was like if, if, if they, uh, William, the, the, we didn't, kids didn't get a phone until they were older, but... If, something, if you take something away from them, probably William at 12, it's an Xbox. That would hurt worse. He, he'd go, no, beat me, beat me, please, beat me. And you, you know, no, I ain't spanking you. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's part of just training where they could start to understand. Would you want to add anything to that, babe? No, I'm, I'm going to jump to the teenagers. Okay, I'll save that one for you. And then that 12 to 18 coaching and where they start picking up responsibility. You, you have to weigh privileges. It's not rights. Getting a car is not a right. Getting your driver's license is not a right. Getting Having a, a phone is not a right. It's not a right. Having an Xbox is not a right. Yeah, but mama, everybody else, who has more influence in your household? Who is raising your children, the culture or you? You'll stand before God and answer for those children. And so it, it was, if Oh, you want this? You want Xbox? You want that? Good. Here's more responsibility in this household. If you'll take on more responsibility, then you're going to, you can have this privilege. And it is a privilege. It's not a right. You want to add to that? Right. And, and then as they get to be teenagers and even young adults, we continue to be parents. Something happens. It's almost like once they get a certain age, you know, and a teenager, it's almost like parents just check out. You're worn out. You're tired. Okay, they, teenagers need a mama and daddy more than they've ever needed in their whole life. They won't express that. They would never say that. They would never act that way. But they need the security of a mama and a daddy that are still going to operate in their roles as parents when they're teenagers. And as parents of teenagers and early young adults... Do not rescue your children. Don't rescue them. Don't, don't rescue them. They have to feel the consequences of their mistakes. They have to feel the consequences of their wrongdoing. And every time you go in and rescue them, it shows them 
that they don't have to suffer the consequences because mama and daddy are going to come in and write the check or talk to the principal or do this or do that and rescue them. And so they're going to be the 30 and 40 year old grown adult that's still calling you to rescue them when they're making stupid decisions and they're not suffering the consequences of those decisions. Does that make sense? Okay, listen, we're not, we're not being harsh. We're, we're not. We're not being harsh at all. We're talking about being godly parents in what God has asked us to do. We are teaching them again along the way, but we're teaching them ultimately to learn and respect the ways and the principles of God. Do not rescue. Let your teenager fail. Let them fail. That's the greatest lesson they could learn is what that feels like. So that next time around, they're going to think twice before they do something stupid. If not, they're going to keep doing it over and over again because they know mom and daddy are going to come in and rescue them. Yeah, let me, let me give you a, a simple way if you're looking at discipline. When you're talking about one to five, your sentences end with exclamation marks. You ever notice that? No, get off that. Get. You're, you're doing a lot of that. When you move to training, your sentences end with periods. William, here's the reason why we're going to do it this way. And here's what... When you get to coaching, your children get to 12 and 18, exclamation marks aren't going to work anymore. You can't talk to them like they're one to five years old. Now you have to start talking to them with question marks at the end of the sentence. What do you think? What do you think we should do? Why are you thinking that way? What, what was your thought process? Why did you do that? You, you gotta start coaching because you're getting them prepared to get out of your house. And when they do leave out of your house, you don't really want them to come back. I promise you don't. You want them to come visit, but that's about two days, right? That's about, y'all got to be somewhere? Because we were happy. And even in the coaching stage, even with those teenagers, Though as parents, you don't need to speak with exclamation points, even though they are. Teenagers are going to speak with exclamations. You don't ever. This isn't fair. This isn't, and I've said this a thousand times to mamas and to daddies, but mamas in particular. You cannot respond to your child's emotion with your emotion. You, you just cannot. You cannot respond. You, you have got to rise above the emotion of it. And if you're not able to handle it, you need to take some time and walk away. Pull yourself together. Pray. Ask God to come and breathe on a, the, what you're fixing to go rip their head off. And go try, bring some peace to you so that you can come in and respond the right way. Again, a parent, you're never not a parent. And we've got to take it seriously in that we're, we're going to... We're not going to respond to their emotion with our emotion. And though they may be screaming in exclamations, doesn't mean you have to. That's right. Because you're the parent. That's right. Let's get to move to number three real quick because mm -hmm. Vic's going to come. And uh, we would just add just family faith. And, uh, and I would just say this to all you parents. Your children are going to build wherever you sacrifice. And if they see church, the house of God, that's important to you and you sacrifice, your children will build on that. And if it's not important to you, it's not going to be important to them. You're the parent. The scripture, Ephesians 6, tells us to raise up your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, which means in reverence and awe. And do you reverence the things of God and his house? 
And when they see that in you, they'll do it, they'll, they'll mimic that because they saw mama and daddy do that. And so uh, that has to become a priority that was always, obviously I'm a pastor, but with our kids, even, even moving here to Opelousas, we were in Lafayette and our kids were teenagers. We brought them in and said, here's what we think God is saying to us. Would y'all pray about? We wanna see what is God saying to y'all? Question mark. Because if, we're, if the answer's yes, God's gonna say yes to all of us. So could y'all go ask God, is this the will of the Lord for our family to move to Opelousas? I can, I'll remember that meeting. We all came back. Hillary's like, I'm in. Yes, Hannah. I don't want to, but I know it's what God's asking us to. William, can I get a four-wheeler? <laughs> yeah, great, great, no. <laughs> including your children. Including your children. There's a promise that God gives to us, and we... It's, it's, it's a promise for our lives, but it's also a promise for our families. And it's, it's uh, Psalms 92, verses 12 through 14. It says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree and they will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age and they will stay fresh and green. Those who are planted in the house of God mm. will flourish. Yes, yes, yes. That's not just for your own personal life. It's for the life of your family as well. And that it, it's, it's, not just, it's not just coming. It, there's a difference between just coming and attending, which is good. But it's a whole nother level when you're planted in the house of God. When you're putting your hands to what we're all putting our hands to, to try to reach a community, to try to build God's kingdom. Include your kids on that journey. Include them in, include them. As you're serving in the house of God, give them the opportunity to serve in the house of God because God's promises those who are planted in the house of God will flourish. And there comes a time in your child's life that when they're young, that they're in the house of God and they're serving God because you are, because it's your God. But as they, they get to become teenagers, the God that you serve has got to become their God. Because if they're doing it just because you say so, and if they're doing it just because this is mom and dad says that I've got to do this, that when they end up leaving your house, they're going to also leave your God. And so those formational years and those early years of going, the house of God is a priority. We're not going to wake up on Sunday and go, are we going to go to church or not? No, this, this is part of our life. This is part of who we are because we want our lives to flourish in every way. And we want our family to flourish in every way. And God's promise says if we're planted in God's house and if God's house is a priority, then God's going to allow us to flourish in every way. Not that we're not going to have hard times, not that we're, going to, we're not going to walk through difficult seasons because we are. But God's blessings are going to come and he's going to be with us and he's going to walk with us. Not just you as a parent, but also as your children, for your children as well. It's the promise that God gives us. 
that we've got to establish that early on so that as they get and again there's no condemnation you just have to start somewhere just because you may not have started right at the beginning doesn't mean that you can't start where you're at wherever you're at in this journey wherever your children's lives are Start it now. Start doing it by God's ways and his principles now. And you watch and see the grace of God that's going to come and make up for the lack where you've fallen short. We've all fallen short. Eugene and I have fallen short. We've done things as parents that we look back and go, man, man, I wish we'd have done it a different way. But it's amazing that when we honor God and bring it to him and let him be a part of helping us raise a family, God's grace and his forgiveness and his love comes pouring over us and he makes up for the lack in areas that we were weak. God's word says this, in our weaknesses, he is made strong. And there are times those kids will wear you down. And you will be weak on those days that you just go, I don't want to deal with them. I don't want to follow through on a consequence. I don't want to have to bring discipline. I don't want to have to deal with this again. And it's gotten so easy to do nothing. And then we wonder why there's a generation that's truly lost their way. that, That have no navigation between right or wrong. Because parents usurped their authority as parents a long time ago because they were tired and they were busy and they were weary. And God's word says, in our weakness, he is made strong. That when you get to that place of weariness and weakness, you go, God, your promise says that when I'm weak, you're going to be strong. Can you give me your strength? Can you surround me with your people? Can we surround ourselves with people of God that are going to help me when I'm so weak that I don't have to do this alone? Because parenting is the most important job than you'll ever have in your entire life. Yeah, just say this with me. Say grace. Yeah. Yeah. Grace. Thank you for grace, God. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, that God would grace. What does that mean? It means I'm going to give you something that you didn't deserve. I'm going to grace you. And God will grace us in our weakness, in our past. We can look back and say, oh, man, I've got some regrets, especially with, with William. I don't regret having him. I just, every, I think every dad looks back and does. You go, man, I wish I would have. But God has graced it. He's graced it. I think, I don't know, it was a couple of months ago, whatever, he goes, dad, you did a really good job with me. <laughs> really? Yeah, I'm good. Okay, I didn't want to mess you up. <laughs> I was just praying I didn't mess you up. I just go, thank you, God, for your grace. You covered it, and he'll cover you. Amazing grace. But then you pick up what you do know and go, you know what? Courage and consistency is what parents need a double dose of from God. I need courage, and I need consistency. Kids need to know this. God, his word, and my mama and daddy will not move. They cannot be shaken. They the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
said, bring them grandkids over. Well, I'll beat them. No, I'm teasing. I don't have grandkids. Y'all can tell, right? I'm talking big right now. <laughs> I want to pray God's grace on every family here. Father, Heidi and I agree in the name of Jesus over mamas and daddies. Would you grace them? Would you cover our weakness? Father, I don't know how you do it. I guess that's why we call it amazing grace. But you do it. You grace us. And we're asking for your grace as parents. We need it. We need the grace from the past. And we're going to need grace for the future. So, Father, would you put just the grace of a daddy and the grace of a mother, which represents the Father and the Holy Spirit in a household, Father, I pray for unity between a mom and daddy on how to raise the children and that they would be a united front, one team with consistency and courage. So, Father, we receive your word today. We thank you for it and we give you all the praise. Bless these mamas and daddies, the future mamas and daddies in this room. Thank you for the grace that you give our single mamas who have to fill both roles. Would you grace them? Give them double grace, we pray. Double grace to our single moms. And so, Father, we thank you that you love us enough to be consistent and courageous and you discipline us when we need it because you love us. And may we discipline our children with the same love. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.